Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Richie Cray back with you. Sooner Nation podcast, uh, the podcast for Heartland Sports. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us um, posting news, opinions, information about the Oklahoma Sooners, Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Both the Sooners and the Cowboys getting ready to head to the bowl games. Uh, We'll talk about that. We'll we'll probably get into more of that, we think, next week. I mean, we don't have to. It's still so far. I mean, it's so far out, you know, but – you you gotta start. I, I tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you think about something. Here's what we'll do for bowl coverage on this on this episode of the podcast because we've got a lot to talk about. We're not limited to an hour by any like anybody saying you can only go an hour. We're just limited to an hour out of respect for like our your daily commute. Yes, and the listeners who can like download a podcast and take it with them. By the way, 1,300 downloads our last podcast. Good job, my man. Um, okay, so. Here's here's what I want you to think about. For we'll just go. Uh, we'll go. I want. I keep wanting to say Sugar Bowl with Oklahoma and Alabama. Ooh. I know. No, that's good because last Ooh. time. No, last time Oklahoma and Alabama played in the Sugar Bowl, it was a very good thing for Trevor Knight had the game of his life. Yes, but what are all together between Oklahoma and Alabama? You don't have to answer this right now. I'm gonna give you some time to think about it. And if you're listening, you can think about it. Hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Um, or you can leave an email or at, at you know email us, or you can leave a comment in the comment section. But overall, top three storylines for the Orange Bowl. I mean, it doesn't have to be top three Oklahoma storylines. <laughs> it doesn't have to be top three Alabama storylines. But overall... The top three storylines for the Orange Bowl at this moment. Uh, we're recording this on December 11th, 2018. 19, uh, 20 days. No. How many days is it? It's the 29th, 29th right? Uh-huh. 18 days uh, before the game. What are the top storylines? And, and think about that. We'll hit it up. Right now, one of the top storylines for the University of Oklahoma is Kyler Murray winning the Heisman Trophy. I don't know if you saw, like, the, did you see the breakdown of the votes where Kyler won every region except for the southeastern region, and he barely, barely lost that one to Tua. I mean, we talked about this the last time we we podcasted. I mean, here's the two things that have happened since our last podcast together. Oklahoma wins the Big 12 championship over Texas. Kyler Murray wins the Heisman Trophy. But we talked about it, and I, to, to me, I said, here's what it comes down to, is that you can – you can say the things that that Tua can't do that Kyler can. I mean, there's there's clear if you watch these two quarterbacks, it is clear as day there are things that that Kyler can do that Tua can't. 
But when you flip that around, there's nothing that Tua can do that Ty, that Kyler can't do. And to me, that was the deciding factor on this. And I feel like the majority of American voters, you know, I, I voted for Kyler on the Maxwell. I don't get a, obviously don't get a Heisman vote, but I get to vote on the Maxwell Award. I, I voted for Kyler on the Maxwell based, based on that same presumption. But I was a little bit surprised he didn't win the Maxwell. And it made me go, wait a minute, maybe, maybe not everybody agrees with me. But clearly the Heisman voters did. Your thoughts on that? Looking comparatively, one of the things that I heard consistently come up in conversations, whether that was web-based, whether that was on the television, was where was the Heisman moment? And, and I'm not talking just about Kyler Murray and Tua Zagovailoa. I'm also talking about Dwayne Haskins here. Who, well, well, Dwayne, Dwayne Haskins just... Dwayne Haskins was just there for the ride. I, he I was agree. the third wheel. I mean, if I I'm Dwayne Haskins, I'm thankful for the invite. You had to have somebody else. Yeah, you I know, agree. I think I think that Jonathan agree. Taylor probably had a, just as good of a case of being there as Dwayne Haskins. But Dwayne Haskins was never in this thing, and you could look at the final voting and, and tell mm-hmm. that. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying that for the three candidates, the three finalists who were there, where was that Heisman moment to sway? voters over the last taste that we got of uh Tua was the injury in the SEC championship game against Georgia where his own lineman steps on his ankle they pull him out he's been in a boot doing all of these different awards ceremonies and and different nights that they've had specifically for these football players we've seen him on a scooter so uh, maybe it was a little more well, you know he had surgery, that right? I first thought, yeah. yeah. Um, secondary to that was he, the la- I'm just saying in-game, in-game. Mm-hmm. The last thing we had was that injury and the two interceptions. My question was how many how many people actually cast their vote before championship weekend? 12%. I thought it was 5%. No, so it was 12 is a lot higher yeah. than what I had initially heard. That's where I became a little bit concerned because it was after – the championship weekend had come to a close that Kyler Murray took over in any of the predictions. Needless to say, I still think Kyler Murray had a Heisman moment. I was going to go a roundabout way to that. It just came in a loss because he rattled off that huge run in the fourth quarter where Oklahoma has yeah, this comeback. I, I just, I mean, go ahead and finish. No, I just, no, I just no, want disagree. you to know go right here at the front get-go, I disagree. But no, no, finish, finish describing do. your Heisman I, I moment. I felt like that that was his best his best. Highlight his his Heisman moment. The only thing that that kept it from being that for him was that they lost that game. Well, are you done? Yeah, I'm okay. done. But I've got more to add on the, oh, on no. the Heisman. Well, okay, we, we we won't leave the Heisman, but I just want to I want to address because I don't I don't I think with Kyler and Tua, the Heisman moment was all season long. Those two guys were so good all season long. I mean, if you're going to – here's the thing. You you look at – No, 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 no. No, no, listen, listen. I am. Le- I, I am. <laughs> look at Oklahoma's 13 games, right? And tell me which one was Kyler's best game. You can't – I mean, you, you can't really pick one out because they were – I mean, he was the same. I mean, how many 300, 100 games did he have and how many 300, 300 games did he lead Oklahoma's offense to? You knew night in and night out. I think the consistency was Kyler's deal. Now, if you want to ask for the Heisman moment, I think there's two perspectives on it. I think the first perspective is what you already mentioned was the SEC championship. It's kind of like one of them blinked all of a sudden because, I mean, Tua had – Tua was the guy from from, <laughs> from day one. Yeah. And it's I'll, because of the national championship. Well, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's going to – to his credit – see, and here's, here's where I disagree. And we talked about this a little bit 
in our, the last time we were together, what I disagree with it were Alabama fans are going to say, well, Kyler didn't play anybody because that's what Alabama fans sound like. Um, you know, they're, 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 what they're going to do is try to discredit Kyler Murray. They're going to say Big 12 doesn't play defense. They're, they're you know, so forth and, and so on. And they're going to try to discredit what Kyler did. I don't. I, I have no problem saying Tua is a great quarterback. He is a great athlete. I got no problem saying that. You don't come in at halftime of the national championship game and and lead your team on a comeback as a freshman if you're not good. That said, week in and week out, it was Tua and Kyler, Tua and Kyler. Kyler was the man who followed the man, so he had to build up. It took him about four to five weeks, a full month in, to really start getting some, hey, you guys need to look at this guy for Oklahoma. But it was solid all season long until the championship weekend, and all of a sudden, Tua flinched. He 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 had a bad game, you know. The, he was rattled, and 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 I I'm not going to blame it on the injury because he was terrible before the injury. You know, we watched that game. Right. He was not good. The injury, the injury did two things for for Alabama. It won them the the SEC championship. Because I don't think they're winning with Tua playing quarterback. I don't. It won them the SEC championship, and it secured them, obviously, as the top seed, the favorite in the playoffs. That's all that injury did. But the Heisman was lost prior to that injury. I mean, when the, he had a terrible first half, was having a terrible second half before injury strikes. And injury can't be used. When you've played more, most of the game, I mean, he, he's deep into the third quarter when that injury happens. When you've played most of the game, you can't use injury as an excuse. I mean, let's say let's say he's thrown for 250 yards and run for 40 and has three touchdowns under his belt, and then he gets injured. Then you can say, well, the injury might have cost him. But the, it wasn't the injury that cost him the Heisman. So that, to me, that was Kyler's Heisman moment is when Tua kind of flinched. But if you want a, a moment in a game – where Kyler secured the Heisman Trophy, then I'm, I'm still sticking with championship weekend, and I'm going with that drive right before the half where Texas has a, a one-point lead. There's less than a minute left, and, and Kyler just methodically takes him down the field, finds Grant Calcaterra for, the, for what was going to be ultimately the go-ahead touchdown. I'm glad we picked the same opponent. Well, it is the same opponent. I just, <laughs> I mean, games. that what 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 he did in the at with against Texas at the Cotton Bowl was was incredible. But I, I feel like the moment where everyone's watching, and here's what's check this out. Here's what's was really beneficial for for Kyler Murray is his two biggest games happened to be the last two games of the season, and they happened to be on national television. One of them is championship weekend when everyone's watching. If you're a voter, you should have been watching championship weekend because you had Dwayne Haskins, you had Kyler Murray, and you had two attack Levaya all playing that weekend. Whatever, you know. Uh, whatever. I'm gonna have, hey, yeah, just don't I have a complicated you. last name, all right? If you want me to pronounce it, don't oh, make wow, it complicated. Like, like, so wow. anyway, um, all that said, I, I think the biggest moment was was – to his performance in the SEC championship. But if you want me to point a specific moment for Kyler Murray, it's that drive right before the halftime. When, when I'm talking about Heisman moments, though, we could easily go back 
on several of the the Oklahoma Sooners who have won the Heisman yeah. and pinpoint yeah. very You got very the Bradford, specific, same Bradford exactly, split. Exactly, that's, still that's what I, I'm I thinking it. of. But what I'm saying is Kyler's entire season was I, that. I How many times this season did, did – I mean, ask Toby Rowland this question because he saw every second of every play. How many times this season did Kyler do something that just made you go, whoa? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he did. He, what he did was unprecedented. It's never been done before. Right. That's why I can say, when I voted for the Maxwell Award, that's why Russell won the MVP. Is that what you're telling well, me? No, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, when I voted for the Ma- for Kyler number one in the Maxwell, I voted two and number two, and I, I voted, you know, running back kid Taylor. Um, Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. I, I voted him three. But I, I, I can say it's not a homer pick. Because he's doing what's never been done before. You know, the, these awards hey, aren't for the best you, player on the best you, team. You don't need to defend it. To I'm me. just saying, if, if if there was a homer pick, it's the Tua pick. To say Tua deserved it, that's the homer pick. Because if you compare these guys, you take their names off, you take their, their school affiliation, and you just say, bam, stats, boo, 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 all the way down, it's, it's a no-brainer who the better player was. So that's that's all. You you want to talk more yeah, about the Heisman? All, all that I was going to add to it because you had asked me about regional voting and where Kyler Murray had actually garnered the most votes mm-hmm. over any of the other finalists. And I, I do know that this was one of the closer races in Heisman history. But here's the thing: is Kyler Murray was third all time, and his name being on the ballot, he got his name was was put ninety two percent of the time on the ballot. What I want to ask is who who are these eight percent people, and who are they voting for? Did you? Yeah, hang on a second. I'm, I'm trying to look that up right now. Or um, or is that a hey we we get to vote a first? No no no, they have to vote a first, second, and third. So I'm saying who who are they putting in there? Well, I mean, because we have three finalists. There, there were votes. Jonathan Taylor. Well, there were votes being, for um, there were votes for Will Greer. There there were votes for the. Um, I'm trying to look at this list here. The oh here it is. The the quarterback right, from, but, but how, from Washington how? State. Well, just, I mean, every, that's what I'm. That's what I'm. But look, when, when you have beat writers and you have regional writers, mm-hmm. they got to have their guy in there. Every, right. So everybody if, if you're has a little five bit, names down. Right. If, on a piece of paper, if you're putting five names down, you're telling me one, one of the five is not Kyler Murray. To me, that just says grudge. And that, no, that's it, it does. The point. It does. And here's the thing, you know, and, and I, I mean, Austin Kendall, bless his heart. He's got to be the guy who falls back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners. Maybe not. We'll, we'll get to that. Maybe not. But whoever is OU's quarterback next year, holy cow. I mean, right. you know, they're, and, and even if they have a good season, let's say they have a Will Greer-type season, it's, what happened the last two years with Oklahoma football is going to prevent that person from getting any Heisman mention. But I, I'm, I'm looking at this list, and I'm shocked that Jonathan Taylor was so far down. He was ninth in in this on this list of voting. And it's because of their record. I oh, agree. so they're putting ten names down. Yeah, I, I, no, that's the top ten guys. But okay, okay. I, I've got this um, this results by region. So I'll tell you um, real fast. So in the Northeast, it was uh, Kyler Tua and then Haskins. Mid Atlanta, Kyler Tua and Haskins. The South. Where two won by you know he had 375 first place votes. Kyler had 356. Haskins Midwest uh, Murray um, uh, Murray Tua and then Haskins. That's kind of the theme here. Southwest Murray 
Tua and Haskins, and then out in the West, same thing, Murray Tua mm-hmm. and Haskins. I mean, so there there was guys that they got in there, but they didn't garner a lot of a lot of you know votes, so to speak. I just, I, I mean, I, when I, when I look at it, I I, I go back to that twelve percent that voted prior to championship weekend, those are the guys that just drive me nuts because those are the guys, it's not about what these guys do on the field. It's who their affiliation is with. And whether that's good for Oklahoma or negative with Oklahoma, I I just... I can't say that I agree with you on that because this, this is a year, and I'm not saying that every single year we're going to have a Heisman candidate who isn't playing in a conference championship game but it's happened in the past. Needless to say, those 12%, they're saying, what have you done all season long, regardless of championship week? I mean, I should mean, that one count? It's, yeah. it's kind of like the I mean, when is, the MVP okay, okay. And, and the playoffs. I, I, can, I can give you that argument on a different year. But this year, right, right. it's I, got – I, I mean, with it as close as it was between these two quarterbacks – to cast your vote before championship weekend is just stupid. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just it's, it's like I said. I don't disagree, and and you're right because you got the opportunity to watch each of these teams play at different time slots. Meaning, you could physically watch all three and decide based on an mm-hmm. eye test exactly the best competition that they're supposed to face all season long. Who is the better player? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that's you. exactly my point. All right, so um, Heisman Trophy Award goes to Kyler Murray. Saturday night, he's a victim of gotcha journalism. And that's, I mean, that's the only way to explain this is gotcha journalism. USA Today digs up tweets from Kyler Murray's freshman year of high school, 14, 15-year-old kid. I mean, Kyler apologized. I don't feel like he needed to. But today's culture requires that. Right. All I'm saying is, I mean, I'm, I'm older than you. <laughs> I mean, I, I look. Here, here's what that the headline should have been: Kyler Murray was a normal teenager, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, know, is there anything I've there other than who I've known kids personally working with students? I've known kids who have personally gone a lot further over a line than what Kyler Murray did. Because they're teenagers. Not because it's culturally acceptable, not because it's the norm, but it's that I'm a teenager and I'm testing the boundaries. Well, here's the thing. I mean, again, I'm older and I've raised two boys. I mean, my boys are 22 and 18, okay? So I've raised children. Here's here's what I'm – you don't have to say it. I don't want you to make any startling confessions here. But think of the dumbest moment of your life. All right, you're you're way younger than me, so think of the dumbest moment of your life. Not way younger, but I mean, more than a decade, more than a decade. All right, <laughs> so so the dumbest moment of your life, boy, it could be something you said, something you did, somewhere you went. The dumbest moment. Yeah, let me just say this: as I think of this moment, Matt, I'm thankful social media didn't. Well, that's, not that's exist exactly that the point. I'm gonna, aren't, aren't you glad now, as a fully <laughs> mature, grown adult? That you're not defined by that moment, right? I mean, I get it. I know what it's not written in internet history. And, and no what one do you, will ever know unless I tell you, right? And what do you do? I mean, think about when you when you. I don't know if you still have keep up with friends from your high school days, but you know, my best friend in the whole world has been my best friend for so long that I can't remember. I honestly can't remember life without knowing this dude, right? And now we're both adults. We both are married. We both have kids, and you know, 
and we don't see each other as much as we did when we were younger. But when we get together, you know what we do? We sit around and we talk about the dumb things we did when we were kids. I mean, they were dumb. And I, and I remember I remember when my children were younger and, and you know, they, that my kids call him Uncle Brian uh, because he's been a part of our life for so long. He was my best man. I was his best man. But we sit around and we talk about the dumb things we did. And I remember catching glimpses of my kids and saying, no, don't even think about this, you know. And it's just it's stupid <laughs> to me. That I, hey. I mean, it, it, well, it's just it, to me as a society, we're to the point where we're are we offended? We're really shocked that a fourteen or fifteen year old kid said something stupid. That I mean, is that newsworthy? No, it's I mean, it's just it's just stupid, and I hate to say it, but it's true. It's a stupid liberal bias that we have where you got to take someone's best moment, and in their best moment, here's what we're going to do: we're going to do everything we can to tear them down. Yeah, but but and I. I am not defending this stance at all, but to me that's clickbait. I mean that that's exactly I mean, what that but is. This that's is, saying, look, okay. here's someone who's having this highlight of their life, not their career, their life. And we're gonna piggyback on that with something negative. Surprise, surprise. That is the media for you today. I was gonna let you know just really quickly, Matt, is um, be thankful uh, that you don't have a twin brother. I grew up, I still have a twin brother. So it doesn't matter. Those conversations about the dumb things we did as kids, we did them in pairs. Um, and so those always come up at any kind of a family gathering, not just in a circle of friends. When it comes to USA Today, what I had heard rumored was they had an article prepared not just for Kyler Murray. They had one for Tua and they had one for Haskins as well, just in case any one of the three won the Heisman Trophy that night. I mean, that that's speculation, and, and it could be true. It could be, it could be not true. But here's the thing: if USA Today is at the point where they've got to run clickbait articles, that's what that they're is. They're doing. I mean, I'm saying, but that's if that is. if that's what it is, I see. I don't think it is. I think it's just trash journalism. I, I feel like that is the course of, I mean, it's in politics and it's, it's infiltrating into sports. You take a person in their highest moment and you do whatever you can to bring that person down off the pedestal. I think that's the, that's the future. That's where journalism has moved to. And, and the thing is, is if, if, if USA Today needs clickbait, they're doomed. I mean, that mean, I that, what that means is they're financially ruined. Maybe, they got to bring in clickbait. Clickbait isn't the, the right uh, way to label that or the right term to use in that moment. But I'm saying that's what it reminds me of is you have this this title that's just so good you you have to click on it. You know what I mean? That's what I, I define as clickbait. Clickbait isn't that by definition. But when I look at that title and I look at what USA Today published, that's what I'm reminded of. All right, Oklahoma um, heading towards Miami, Florida to face Alabama and the Orange Bowl. Uh, it's it, we talked about the storylines. I don't know if you're ready to, to go down that road or not yet, but yeah, yeah let's do it. Um, you know, give me your top three storylines as of right now. Matt, I, don't, this I don't know that I can give you three total. Well, you you got to give me you, three. I, can I mean, give you at least two. And the reason being is because when Bob Stoops was the head coach of the University of Oklahoma, there were numerous clashes throughout his entire nearly two decades. At the university, there were numerous clashes with SEC opponents. Bob Stoops oftentimes got the better of his SEC foes, and it led to a lot of dialogue within the football, college football community. 
Bob Stoops is now gone. We don't have that same coach saying those same words about the SEC, but we still have some remnants of that. So I'm curious to know, Big 12 versus the SEC, do we continue to see a little bit of of that Bob Stoops mentality of we're going to compete with anyone and and we're going to step on this stage and we're going to prove it to you, regardless of what you think beforehand. Two is Oklahoma obviously possesses one of the top. Let me back up on that. Oklahoma possesses the top offense in the country. And it's largely in part to the big plays that they've been able to generate through the arm legs of Kyler Murray, as well as the speed of the skill position players. And then the emergence of the running backs behind the most, what I still say is the most dominant offensive line in the country. Why they've produced two Heisman winners behind that offensive line. Argue with me later on that, but I'm sticking to my guns here. Um, And Alabama's coming in and a lot of people are very high on their defense. Now, I know you wrote an article pointing out some of these weak points and statistically where where the offenses rank that Alabama's played. Are they worthy opponents? Because that's been one of the, the terms that's been used to describe this Oklahoma team is they haven't faced a quality defense. Alabama, everyone believes they're bringing that in. Whether that's true or not, whether Oklahoma can exploit that or not is beside the point at this this conversation that we're having. So that second that second storyline is best offense versus one of the, the best defenses in the country. Allegedly. Which one which one actually holds up and which one kind of not bends but breaks? That a good way to no, I mean, that? and I really feel like the the offense versus defense storyline is going to take front and center, probably starting next week. Once mm-hmm. once you really get into bowl prep, I mean, all the coaches are out recruiting right now. Has storylines are going that direction, but next week, when once the, you know finals are over this week, and and these guys really get down to the nuts and bolts of X's and O's, the the offense versus defense is that that conversation is going to take center stage, just like it did with the Rose Bowl last year. And, and here's the thing, I mean. If you're on this side of the fence, you're looking at that Rose Bowl game against Georgia, the number one defense in the country, and you're, you're as an Oklahoma fan, you're saying, "Man, Oklahoma torched that defense. They just torched them." But as a Georgia fan, as a excuse me, there are no Georgia fans. As an SEC fan, because I mean that's what it is. You're 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 you just you you tour you know what whoever's there, that's your team. If you're in the SEC, right? Um, I mean, think that all their hats are like reversible to to whatever you know whatever team. And I and I I like the fact you know I. I'm sorry, I'm going down a rabbit hole, but I it irritated me. But I like the fact that Tom Herman wouldn't come out and say Oklahoma deserved to be in the playoff and that Kyler Murray deserved to win the Heisman. I like that because that means there's real rivalries. You know, in the SEC, who do you snatch? The Big 12 is going to hear this. And I mean, make someone apologize. I'm just saying the, S- <laughs> the horns down. The, I mean, I, I like that. I, I like that horns down became a big issue. I, I like that Oklahoma did a team photo posing with the horns down after right. the game. I like that stuff. I like that Tom Herman was so butthurt over losing that game that he wouldn't say Kyler Murray's the best player in the nation. You don't get that in the SEC. You, there are no heated rivalries. And the reason I can tell you that, I mean, look, Texas A&M and LSU got in a fight. Like, they literally got in a fight after that seven-overtime game. 
But who cares? Because if if see A and M won that game, I mean, or Coach O would have gone to the podium if A and M was undefeated. Coach O would have gone to the podium after his coaching staff just got in a fight with the A and M coaching staff. Coach O would have gone to the podium and said, "Yeah, well, you know, hypothetically, if A and M was undefeated, they're the best team in the country. They're the best players in the country. They deserve to be in the playoff." He would have done it, even with one loss. He would have done it. Why? Because everyone in the SEC toasts the company line. I don't like that. I like to hate Texas. I can tell you right now, there's one Big 12 team I will be cheering. I already have a, a Georgia Bulldog shirt. I promise you, I will wear the day of the of the Sugar Bowl. I will be wearing a Georgia Bulldogs T-shirt. I'll post it on Twitter for people if they don't believe me. I love the fact that I can hate Texas, and I want them to lose every time they if if they play Tiddlywinks, I want them to lose. I don't care. <laughs> gymnastics. No one watches gymnastics. Oklahoma's pretty good, but no one watches. I want them to lose. You don't get that in the SEC. Now, rabbit chase is over with. SEC fan, going back to that Rose Bowl, SEC fan saying, yeah, but they won the game. You know, Georgia won, so their defense is better. Their defense was trash against Oklahoma's offense. It's just Oklahoma's defense was worse. You know, that's the thing. The Oklahoma's defense I felt like it was conservative play calling. Well, but, I mean, I don't care. offense, (laughs) Offense didn't lose that game. No. I mean, they 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 did not play in the national championship, not because of offense. They didn't play because the defense was terrible. And if the, I feel like the the Orange Bowl has that same potential, that OU is going to do some things against Alabama. There, the Alabama is going to. There will be times in this game, Alabama is going to be lost. They're going to be confused. They're going to be like that dude is fast. Those moments are going to happen, but that's not what scares Alabama's defense doesn't scare me. What scares me is Oklahoma's defense. And I think that's going to become, starting next week, that's going to become the primary storyline. But I don't think it's a primary storyline right now. I got three for you, all right? Real fast, three storylines. Mm-hmm. I think Tua and Kyler is the top storyline. Right, That that sure. That, that storyline will carry through until kickoff. Tua and Kyler. They're, they're inseparable now, right? That's your top storyline. Your second storyline is going to be Alabama's offensive coordinator leaving for the Maryland position. You know, how much of, a, of an impact is that going to have on Alabama's defense? I mean, offense. And I mean, not to be the eternal defensive hater that I am, but I don't really think it matters against Oklahoma's defense. Okay. I think that might matter if Alabama survives and has to play Clemson, because I think we're all agreed Notre Dame's not getting out of the first round. Um, you know, uh, that may matter in championship round, but uh, you think Notre Dame's going to be Clemson? I, I'm not counting anybody out of this. Wow. I, I'm, I mean, counting no, I'm counting Notre Dame out, man. I Clemson's mean, good, but Notre Dame Notre Dame has earned the right to be in the playoff. I'm not saying they I'm haven't. I'm not counting them out. I'm not saying they haven't earned the right to be in the playoff. I'm saying they haven't played a playoff-type caliber schedule. Um, of the four teams in the playoff, Notre Dame's played the worst schedule. Just throwing that out there, right? So you've got you've got uh, Tua Kyler, you've got uh, the offensive coordinator leaving for Maryland, and then the third storyline I've got right now is the Oklahoma's defensive coordinator search because, as mm-hmm. you have said multiple times, that that potentially reaches in to the Alabama coaching staff. Right, and and I told you I sent you a message um, that I backed off of that, and so there was a lot of. A lot of different rumors that have been flying around. A lot of different names associated with those rumors. There's an article that you've published on the site with with two predominant names that you've heard over and over and over. One of those just happens to be Paul Golding. Paul? Paul? 
That doesn't sound Pete. right to me. Pete, there you go. Thank you. Pete Golding. And everything I've heard, um, it doesn't sound too good. And I don't know who's backing out. I, I don't know what the terms were. I just don't know if, if those terms weren't agreeable upon. But it seemed to me everything that I was receiving word-wise was that Pete Golding was, was the number one target. And Oklahoma was making a big push for him which would have made the Orange Bowl extremely interesting if Pete Golding was still on staff but had committed to come to Oklahoma the following season. I, w- I do want to talk about the offense, though, really, really quickly because there's a reason that all these different coordinators, not only from the college ranks but the NFL, come to Oklahoma absolutely, to yeah. learn from Lincoln Riley. And so when you're talking about Alabama's defense – I absolutely believe that they're going to be tested. I absolutely believe that they're going to be stretched. It's a Nick Saban defense. doesn't matter whose name is the defensive coordinator. So what can they do against the Lincoln-Riley offense? That's still got to be one of the biggest stories, I feel like. Yeah, and, and that's I mean that's a great point. And, and I, I've, I've said that multiple times as well. Is and Because and I try not to get in on this offense-defense debate. But here's – I mean, you just – Unless you're in this part of the country, unless you cover these teams, you don't understand what the spread offense is. You and don't. Go ahead. I feel like Kyler Murray said it the best because that, that was a question that was asked of him on Heisman night. And he had said, you guys, like you can talk all you want basically, but you don't know what it's like to have the pressure of scoring on every single mm-hmm. drive or losing the game. Yeah. I mean, here, I mean, look, here's what you need to do. Uh, the, uh, the teams that are in – in the bowl season, I kind of think you got to you got to throw West Virginia away a little bit because Will the, Greer's not playing, and then you got to do the same thing with Oklahoma State. Just a little, a little playing. bit. We we got to talk about that in a minute as well. But look at whoever the opponents are. What what are their average points per game allowed, and what do they give up in the bowl season? Then you got to look at that. The SEC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the ACC, they don't have the spread offense across the board. But I, I, It's coming. No, I know. I, I, you and I have talked about that. I mean, you look at this year with Ohio the SEC. State, well, Big Ten, Alabama, and the SEC. Well, Alabama, Kentucky, Georgia to an extent. You know, Auburn. Georgia, I'm surprised Georgia had, hasn't done it for longer. Because well, because they had, that, had the tool. But last year they had that stable of running backs. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to use what well, you now, got. Now you know? they've got Ridley, Fromm. Well, I mean, I'm just saying that it's coming to the SEC. And I've said this all season long now. In five years, this SEC defense, Big 12 offense debate is over. Because look at the scores in the SEC this year. They're slowly rising. They're going to rise some more. Well, Alabama averaged what 50, you 52 points. You a can't game? look at what. Well, just here's 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 the thing. You go back and you retrace the steps for the Big Twelve. Oklahoma did it first, but it was when Texas Tech and Kansas started doing it that people think, wait a minute. If Mark Mangino can win the Orange Bowl at Kansas with the spread offense. Then what can we do at Iowa State? What can we do? You know, Kansas State really was one of the last ones to kind of move in that direction. But when you look at what Mark Stoops is doing at Kentucky and winning games and getting nationally ranked, people, Vanderbilt's going to start looking. South Carolina's going to start looking. All these (laughs) Mississippi State, all these lower tier schools are going to start looking. And it forces the upper tier schools to to either evolve or, or get replaced. 
that that's where you are. I mean, that, that's where the SEC is right now. And Alabama's a little bit ahead of the curve. So is Georgia. But watch it. It's coming. And in five years, five years from now, this conversation will be over with because everyone across the board is going to understand how hard it is to stop the spread offense. I mean, that's, that's, that's just that's where it is. And, and to your point, if, if no one plays defense in the Big 12, if, if everyone's just successful because there's no defense played in this conference, then why is every NFL coach calling Lincoln Riley? Why is every general manager calling Lincoln Riley? Why are defensive coordinators what, and offensive coordinators his, from across the country coming to Norman in the offseason? Being one of the the, the, exactly. the front runners for right. any opening that comes up yeah. in the NFL. Maybe, just maybe, <laughs> it's the level of offense, not the level of defense. The creativity. I, I concur. All right. Who plays uh, – well, hang on. Uh, Sooner Nation. Did you want to add something up? Because you looked something up on your computer. Yeah, I was just looking because I had mentioned Alabama scoring X amount of points per game. I just wanted to see where they were. It's 47.9, which is second in the country. To who? Oklahoma. I know. 49. I knew, I knew that answer. All right. Um, Sooner Nation podcast, the podcast heartland-sports.com. He's Rich. I'm Matt. All right, man. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh-oh. Who is Oklahoma's starting quarterback? 2019. 2019, I don't know. You got to answer. Because you got to answer right now. Odds on favorite, if I had to pick one in this very moment, it's Austin Kendall. Mm. Because I think when you enter the spring of 2019, he may very well be the only quality. Uh, Tanner Mordecai is pretty good. Oh, I forgot about him. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning him. Because I was thinking it was him and Spencer Rattler. Yeah, right. No, no, you got Rattler's it. coming in. I think he red shirts. I agree. I, I think they play him sparingly. Tanner Mordecai, absolutely a, a good competitor, a good athlete, but I think he's going to take a back seat for the time being to a guy like Austin Kendall. Um, that'll be a good spring competition mm-hmm. to watch yeah, in for all sure. honesty because if Austin Kendall loses that, I, I think he transfers. Needless to say, I, I'm going with the odds on favorite. In saying it, it's Austin Kendall. Uh, yeah, I think I think you're going to have a good battle. I, I think you're, you're going to have it unresolved through the spring unless there's a, an agreement. I, I, I strongly feel I have no evidence of this other than just reading between the lines. I strongly feel that like there was an agreement between Lincoln Riley and Kyler Murray's family saying, look, man, you stick around, you're going to be the starting quarterback. But now they had to play it out, but – I think there's agreement, and I and I, and and that's not a bad thing. It's clear. That it's clear. Did you? I don't know if you saw this uh, interview. I think it was um, who was it? I think it was John Hoover who wrote the article. He's talking about um, going back to 2015. They're looking at transfer quarterbacks, and there's Drew Allen, there's uh, Will Greer, and there's Kyler Murray. And Oklahoma, as a coaching staff, is looking at these guys, going, "Who do we want to go after? Do we want to try to approach one of these transfer guys?" And, and Lincoln Riley was asked his opinion, and he said, look, I, Will Greer's good. I, I like what I see in him. Uh, this Drew Allen kid's pretty good. I like what I see in him. And he says, this is 2015. If Kyler Murray comes here, he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. I mean, so, I mean, they're, they're, they, they know what's going on with these, uh, with these guys and these quarterbacks. I think it's a good competition through the spring, but I think there might be a, a handshake agreement with Lincoln Riley and Austin Kendall's family, you stick around, you're the starter. I really think that it doesn't mean that it's, I think, I'm not saying it's going to be resolved in the spring because I think Tanner Mordecai has a good upside. I do too. And I think when Spencer Rattler gets here in the summer, you're going to have a three, a three man race that Spencer Rattler is going to be the first guy out. 
And I would expect it to go, if everything stays the way it is, I would expect it to go into the fall. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all, all the way up into maybe one or two weeks out from the season. And then you have uh, Sarsay Spencer Rather, and then you you have Austin Kittle named the starter. I really feel like that's that's the way it could go. All things stay the same, but you and I both know there's a chance that all things won't stay the same. You published today about a rumor about Jalen Hurts. I don't <laughs> there, like there, that rumor. I'm not on board with that. I don't, I don't even know that Jalen. So there there's a, a, a lot of Jalen Hurts is gone. I mean, they, they don't let's let's just go ahead and say Jalen Hurts is gone from Alabama. Yes, yes. yeah, one way he, or the other. Yeah, he, he could he could play against Oklahoma and against Clemson and win the national championship. He's still gone. He's not coming back to Alabama next season. The thing for me is Jalen Hurts also has an opportunity to declare for the NFL draft. No, he won't do that. If he doesn't, like many people are expecting him not to, and they're expecting him to utilize the graduate transfer rule where he could become immediately eligible. He has connections at other universities Mm -hmm. already. One of those isn't Oklahoma. The article Andy Staples, Sports Illustrated, had posted that it's a favorable spot if he chose to look at Oklahoma, not that he was ever coming here, not that it's even on his list, because it went on to say that the the likely landing spots are places like Houston, um, Oregon, and, and one other place that I'm blanking on, uh, Arizona. Arizona and, and Houston being the front two. I threw Oregon in there because Justin Herbert is one of the top prospects for this NFL draft. He's a junior. If he leaves, declares for the draft, they're going to be looking for someone. The reality for the situation for me with Jalen Hurts is if he came to Oklahoma, I think that he would be the Heisman front runner. I disagree. I disagree. Like Jalen Hurts is not a guy that can come into this offense and do the things that Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray has done. He's not. He 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 has a slow release. He's not accurate, and he struggles with the deep ball. Those are all things that Kyler Murray excelled at. Baker Mayfield but, but excelled. Lincoln no, Riley no, I, is I, a I don't. Miracle no, worker. look, look. Here's here's what you got to look at. If if I'm Lincoln Riley, here's what I know. If I take in a quarterback, a, a graduate transfer quarterback, if I take him in. I'm losing Austin Kendall. I've invested right. in Austin Kendall since he was in high school. We forget Lincoln Riley recruited Austin Kendall to come to East Carolina. And then when he was made the transition to Oklahoma, Austin Kendall came to Oklahoma with him. So Lincoln Riley has been connected with that family for a long time. Right. You take Jalen Hurts, you're losing Austin Kendall. And so it becomes a question of, is Jalen Hurts worth losing Austin Kendall over? Knowing you got two years out of Austin Kendall, one year out of Jalen Hurts, I've seen the body of work. He's a he's a good kid by all accounts. He's an upstanding, great kid, but he's not a Big Twelve quarterback. He's I mean he's he would be. I mean I, I hate to I mean I, I you, like the kid that's leaving TCU, their quarterback Robinson is that his yeah. name? I mean the kid that's transferring out. That's what Jalen Hurts would be in Oklahoma, a big athletic kid who can't make the quick throw, can't make the quick read, and doesn't have the touch. That's that's what you're getting in Jalen Hurts. And you got to understand, the, the offense he ran at Alabama two years ago is different than the offense that Alabama's running right now. And the reason why Tua took over in that spot was because Tua can run the spread. Jalen Hurts can't. It's not a good fit. There is one transfer out there that I think I would roll the dice on. There is a transfer out there that if I'm Lincoln Riley and I can get him, I'm risking Austin Kendall for this one guy. You want to know who it is? 
Yeah, tell me. No, I mean you. You already. I want to know. No, you already hinted at. You already mentioned the school. Houston? No. Oregon? No. Arizona? Arizona. Khalil Tate is leaving Arizona. That kid can. Of course, it would be the last one I named. <laughs> <laughs> that kid, he can scoot, man. He he can run. He he's still not the polished passer that uh, that we've seen with Kyler Murray and we saw with Baker Mayfield. But when you talk about the runner, he's every bit the runner, maybe more so than Kyler Murray is. I like him. He's leaving Arizona. If he were to land in Oklahoma, I'd take a flyer on him because I've got Spencer Rattler and I've got Tanner Mordecai. If if Austin Kittle decides to leave, I give him my blessing. I say, look, man, I understand. You, whatever you need from me, I will help it make it work for you somewhere else. But we got to take this kid. I don't feel like you have that conversation with Jalen Hurts. I definitely had that conversation with Khalil Tate. Well, we know Missouri's not in the cards. No, and I was shocked by that. I mean, I, uh, we we talked about that, didn't we? Because I think I went on record saying I thought it was going to be Auburn. Right? Didn't Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was shocked. Yeah. It, here's why I think I'm so enamored with Jalen Hurts and open to that idea that when it was suggested, it was like a giddy little schoolgirl on the first day of school saying, yippee, because of you look at Jalen Hurts and the story. I mean, Jalen Hurts has one of, one of the best stories in all of sports, not just college no, football, yeah. all of sports. Sticking around a year, playing behind Tua Tagovailoa, oftentimes getting those garbage minutes. Then what happens? He steps in, and just like Tua did in the national championship, Jalen Hurts becomes the savior of that team. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he's he's lifted up. He, he gets that accolade once again. He gets this honor to sit in that seat. He gets that honor one more time before he goes out and, and transfers elsewhere. That's why I like Jalen Hurts. I also think Jalen Hurts has a good shot at winning one of the SBs in 2019 for that specific reason. Yeah, I just uh, he's to me again. He's not risk. The risk reward with Jalen Hurts is not there. Um, yeah, you make a valid point. It's just like I said, those completely they they never cross my mind, and it's because I'm so enamored with that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you don't recruit a kid for a story. You recruit a kid for talent. It's All true. right, defensive coordinator. You you like Pete Golding? I mean, is that I, I do I, mean, I do because one, he's a young up and comer. He he's not tested though. Um, you and I had a conversation, not on a podcast, where where it was just you and I shooting the breeze, basically. And he he doesn't have the experience. In fact, he's he's a co-defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. How much control does he have of the well, offense? He's a co-defensive well, I mean, defense. Right. Zero. He's a co-defensive coordinator running Nick Saban's defense. Right. And, and, and nothing gets approved without Nick Saban's stamp on it. First and I and I and foremost. I could be wrong. Okay. I, I think. The Alabama defensively, they've got physically, they've got some gifted dudes, all right? They, they look huge on they've TV, got okay? They've got NFL guys across the board on, on that defense. I'm, I think there's holes in that defense. I, I, I watched Georgia. I saw what Citadel did to him for the first half. There's question marks on that for me. And, yeah, and that's why you, they looked human for the very first I, time. I feel, like, I feel like if you're Lincoln Riley, you kind of got to hit a home run here. And do you do you swing with a guy that has no experience? I mean, his last experience, I think, was what UTSA before going to Alabama. Um, and I just I just don't know that that's the guy. I, I really don't. And here's the other thing that's, that's complicating this matter is the fact that Oklahoma's playing Alabama. If you're Pete Golding, you're not going to go to Nick Saban and say, "Hey, coach, um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm tendering my resignation to you because, well, I'm going to Oklahoma. It, it, Nick Saban is going to do everything in his power to prevent that from happening before this bowl game. I don't think you're going to see anything. And Lincoln Riley has – the reports are Lincoln Riley is telling recruits, hey, we're not going to make a change. We're not going to make an announcement to after the first of the year. So this early signing period that comes up next week, there's not going to be a new defensive coordinator for that early signing period. The guy I like, though, is, is Alex Grinch. I that, that's my guy. There. I knew and, you were going And there. every day that this Pete Golding rumor gets a little more stale, the Alex Grinch rumor picks up traction. And what I like about him is, again, he, he's not running his defense at Ohio State, but his defense at Washington State was pretty good, and he has experience with a team that runs a spread offense. I mean, he's been with Mike Leach. I mean, he's the godfather of the spread offense. So if you've been with Mike Leach, which, you know, Lincoln Riley is a disciple from that tree, it just makes sense to me that, that Alex Grinch is the guy. He, he's the guy I like. That's who I would go after. But that, that's just me. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that as, at all. But I feel like I, – I, I feel like – as we get closer to this Orange Bowl matchup, if there's no movement with Pete Golding, then that means he's – I feel like he's done. Uh, the, the time has expired on that deal. Pete Golding's a younger guy. He's an energetic guy. He's kind of like Lincoln Raleigh in that matter. But, you know, Alex Grinch is under 40, and he's got a lot more experience. That's the dude I like if the, I'm picking. The only complication with Alex Grinch at this point in time is Nick Saban part – Nick Saban. Urban Meyer – <laughs> two prominent names in the coaching world, Urban Meyer parting ways with Ohio State. I, I think that could throw a wrench. No, in because there. they've already said Greg Schiano's staying. Oh, is he? Yeah, I, I yeah, know that. yeah. Greg Schiano's staying. Okay. Alex Grinch is out. Okay, I thought the expectation was for Schiano to, to leave as well. No, I, I'm okay. pretty confident Greg Schiano's well, staying. Well, that theory. So. <laughs> I'll just put that one in the trash can. Sooner uh, Nation, the online podcast, Heartland-Sports.com. All right, let's let's talk real fast. Uh, wrap. We we gotta talk some basketball. Uh, we'll we'll close. Do you want to close with basketball? Or do you want to close yeah, with? Yeah, let's, uh, let's close with basketball. All right. So uh, one more question for you. One more thing I, I want to talk about in, is a. Uh, Early entries for the NFL, Oklahoma, you know, obviously one way or the other, Kyler Murray's gone. Um, you think you think he'll be drafted? Here, Here's what I'm predicating this question on is Kyler Murray gets a first-round gra- mm-hmm. draft grade. Mm-hmm. No, I think he will. And, and here's here's the decision that Kyler's going to have to make. I, I, You know, you talked to him in baseball season. I talked to him in baseball season. You know, we were around that atmosphere. He he, Baseball, I feel like, has always been – his future, except for this year, he's realizing I can do this football thing really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. He would have to be like a Baker. Baker Mayfield got like $30 million guaranteed. No, Kyler's got $4.66 million guaranteed. It doesn't take a, a, you know, a rocket scientist to figure huh. out. Which one's more? Right. <laughs> but. Kyler Murray, I don't feel like Kyler's going to get drafted in that bracket of $30 million guaranteed. Well, that's a first-round draft pick. Well, that's the know? number one overall uh-huh. draft pick. and That's, that, not that's gonna, what I meant. Yeah, not that's not going to be one. Kyler Murray's thing. I, I think I think after this season, be it after the Orange Bowl or after the National Championship game, Kyler Murray's moving on to Oakland. I, I just I feel like that's, that's what's best maybe, for him. Maybe the Browns will take him as a backup in the first round. <laughs> Okay, um, so um, two guys I think that really have big decisions to make for Oklahoma. 
I think Cody Ford has a big decision to make, and I think Marquise Brown has a big decision to make. Um, mm-hmm. If I if I'm Cody Ford, can, I'm I'm questioning can my stock rise any higher by coming back for one year? If I'm Marquise Brown, I'm asking myself the same question. And and what I keep coming back to and and looking at these guys and doing evaluation is that Cody Ford is is never going to look stronger on tape next year or this year. He he's the, the dude's a monster. He's a mauler. He he's got edge. He plays with attitude. He's that nasty offensive lineman that the NFL likes. Whether he goes this year or next year, I don't know that there's going to be much separation with him. Now Marquise Brown, I feel like on tape next year he's going to look just as fast as he does this year. Next year he's going to have the hands just like he had this year, except for Go back to the Big 12 championship game, and Marquise had a lot of big drops in, in a big game. I'm curious to see what happens if he's able to play in this Orange Bowl and at what percentage he's going to be at. The thing that Marquise has against him is he's a smaller body receiver. Mm-hmm. And you look at a guy like Sterling Shepard, who's a smaller body receiver and making a pretty good living in the NFL after four years of college. I think Marquise would benefit from coming back one more year and proving that he's durable enough to do this 16 weeks instead of just 14 weeks or 15 weeks. That's just my 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 take on, on those no, two. That, I, I think if I'm Cody, I'm testing the wards of the NFL. I think if I'm Marquise, I'm sticking around one more year. It's a very good perspective because Marquise Brown hasn't – I mean, he suffered injury early on in the season, mm. and it's continued to plague him. Now, he's played, and he's been in the games, but I don't feel like he's been that that same receiver that we saw in the latter half of last year and the beginning half of this year. I agree with you, and there's something to prove for him, and it comes from that durability standpoint because we know he's fast. We, we know that he can get that separation right. with his speed. He can also get behind a defense. It, it doesn't matter. You can use him in specific ways um, like Oklahoma has done to get him the ball in space. That'll be there. It's can he play an entire season? I agree with you. Uh, I'm just going to piggyback what you have said and agree with, with Cody Ford as well. He's an intriguing prospect. Um, if I if Marquise Brown goes this year, I think he could potentially drop a fringe second round kind of guy. Um, I don't know if that means closer to the first or if that means closer to the third, but I, I think he's in the second fringing downwards and you're agreeing with me. So. <laughs> and, and the thing is I, I think it looks you look at body okay Marquise Brown can can stand another year of of body work I mean putting on more muscle putting on you know you know more mass Cody Ford there's not much more he's going to do with his body he can still get stronger I mean, you can always get stronger. Well, but you let's could, see how someone does at the combine. Well, you know, that, that's a huge, <laughs> apparently a huge ordeal. Yeah, these but, days. but but here's the thing. Go back to that moment. Go back to Orlando Brown and that moment, and look what he's doing right now in the NFL. Right. Orlando Brown was a plug and play player in the mm-hmm. NFL. Cody Ford, I believe, can be that same guy, plug and play. Marquise Brown, if I'm if I'm a general manager, I'm looking at this guy. I love his speed. I love his hands. We got to put some meat on him before we can plug and play him. You know, mm-hmm. and I, if he stays one more year and and continues to develop his body like a Sterling Shepard did, 
then next year I feel like he can be that plug-and-play guy. He's good enough to get drafted, and he'll get drafted. He'll make money if he goes this year. But the question is, how important is that to Hollywood? Does he want that money this year, or does he want more money next year? Cody Ford's going to be about the same either year. Marquise Brown can get more money if he stays, barring injury. My follow-up question then is, is where does Rodney Anderson stand and all of this. Well, I mean, Rodney Anderson's gone. We I mean, know we, that we, he's going yeah, to the we NFL, know that. The, th- the thing is, and here's there's there's two things about Rodney Anderson um, that really stick out to me. The if I'm spending money, okay. The first thing I look at is 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 injury history, okay. The dude's got. It. I mean, he, you, you, it's a very well documented, detailed injury history mm-hmm. history for Rodney Brown. Uh, Rodney. Rodney Anderson. Um, so I'm questioning I'm questioning durability right off the get-go, and I think I'm legit in doing that. The second thing is the status, the status of his current injury, because the family never disclosed exactly what the current injury is. And he's rehabbing off-site. Can he come back for a pro day and can he be um, ready to go? Can he be can he run? You do all those things at a pro day. That he needs to do, Rodney. Rodney, I start to say Rodney Brown again. Yeah, you do. Rodney Anderson <laughs> is, in my opinion, a fourth round pick. But and but he's a steal there if he if he, if he, he stays healthy. healthy. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is if you're Rodney Anderson, you have to go. You have no choice in this matter. Yeah. You have to go because the next injury. Now he's had three season-ending injuries. The next injury is likely career-ending. So you got to make money when you can, while you can. He's good enough to get a roster spot. He's good enough to play in the NFL. The question is, how long will he do so? And that's that's what every general manager is asking themselves as well. All right, Oklahoma basketball. We got to close out. We got three minutes left. Um, Sooners not ranked this week in the top twenty-five. Eight and one on the season. Wins over Notre Dame, Florida. I mean, I mean, Wichita State. Well, Wichita State's not a great team. I mean, they're just. By the way, I've got to tell you, um, I was at that game. Yeah. I sat pretty close to the student section for OU, um, and they brought a sign, just a a marker sign that you could change at any point in the game, and they made this lady so upset. But none of what they were saying was bad. Like, like on their sign, it said. Wichita State is really bad. Dot dot dot. Shocker. I thought that was clever. Well, they do the same thing at football games. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I'm just saying that lady got so upset that she started yelling at them. And the just next thing I saw was everyone saying, We can't hear you and pointing at the scoreboard. So I just chuckled. That that's good stuff. Um what what is that? I mean, what Oklahoma they're they're to me the most impressive thing is the wins away from home. Right. I mean, they're, they're, they're not getting a break. They're, yeah, because they're, they're on the road this in, weekend. Yeah, they're in Tulsa against USC mm-hmm. this weekend. What is it going to take if they beat USC? Or are they? Are, I don't. I don't know what it's going to take. the The problem for me is Oklahoma doesn't have the star power that, of course, a Duke team has mm-hmm. with does Barrett anybody and, and Williamson. <laughs> I, I, Gonzaga apparently is good enough to beat them. Kansas, the number one team in the country right now. Needless to say. I think there's just a lack of recognition because Oklahoma doesn't have that NBA-bound talent at this point in time. And so people are tending to shy away from Oklahoma and putting them in the top 25, regardless of record. Because I, I've noticed there's a couple teams, or at least one specific team, that's 6-2 and, and is still ranked. 
Kansas State. Well, in Kansas State, here's the thing I, I like at them. You know, they um, they they lost to a Tulsa team that's not awesome. And Oklahoma State lost to a Tulsa team that's not awesome. I I, I just I, Oklahoma has more road wins. Non, they have more wins away from home than like 22 of the 25 teams ranked right now, but that's a testament to their schedule. Mm-hmm. But it's their their one loss is to a a ranked Wisconsin team. There's some there's some when you you know even North Texas you look at the, oh it's North Texas well they were undefeated they had the nation's one of the nation's longest winning streaks coming into this game. This is a good team. They're led by Christian James on any given night, the number two scorer in the Big 12 right now. But but what what has been amazing about this team is that it's not just Christian James. You know, it was last year, it was the Trey Young show. You know, Christian James is a good basketball player. He's finally coming to his own as a senior. But, you know, Brady Manick has had the night. Miles Reynolds has had the big night. Jamani McNeese has had the big night. I mean, it's it's any given night. It could be one of four or five guys that lead the way. Thirty seconds left. Give me your final thoughts. Are they going to be if they beat USC yeah, here, Saturday? Here's the will thing they be ranked? Um, I'm going to say no on that because they have one game to other other programs too that they'll play this weekend or this week. The reality for me is Oklahoma is structured in such a way that they're rangy. The length provides all kinds of nightmares for opposing offenses and, and schemes and, and plays that they want to run because you have this team who's pulling off these wins and who have they been without? They've been without McNeese in the center for the right, past two. Right. Now he's suited up. We're not hundred percent certain what's going on there, but it's the defense that's providing the spark to, to wins. Defense. Yeah. That's something that's, that's under soul. We, we got to talk more about that later, but the weather playing defensively is, is pretty Impressive. You heard that from Rich DeCray. He does not believe the Oklahoma Sooners deserve to be ranked in the I top didn't, 25. I didn't say that. <laughs> Sooner I Nation podcast. Hey, I said they won't be. Th- thanks for listening. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback on Twitter at Sports Heartland. If you're listening to us on iTunes, you could go to heartland-sports.com and uh, give us your comments in the comments section for this podcast. Thanks so much for listening, Rich. Have a great week. Everybody else, enjoy uh, your time as it leads up to Christmas. Boomer Sooner. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.